General Martok almost got his brachial artery severed in a training exercise. Cadet Nog is helping Lieutenant Commander Worf fix the Defiant. And Lieutenant Commander Dax says the quintessential first officer is an uncaring, hard-nosed autocrat. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very serious version episode of The Seventh Rule with Sirach Lofton. Hello, hello. Doesn't get much more serious than that. We are joined today by Melissa Longo. It's a Nog episode. Hello. My name is Ryan T. Husk, and I've got prune juice in my future. Oh, all right. That's why. <laughs> How are you guys so doing? Serious. <laughs> Whoa. Oh gosh. Take two. Run <laughs> <laughs> um, back again. <laughs> today we're doing a review of Deep Space Nine season five, episode 21, Soldiers of the Empire, written by Ronald D. Moore, directed by Mr. LeVar Burton. Episode air date was April 28th, 1997. Where were you? Um, recording another episode. <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, we, we know what you were up to. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, real quick, I want to give a shout out to our good friends at Lambda Quadrant. Lambda Quadrant is an LGBTQ safe Star Trek group for everybody. I'm wearing this awesome shirt by them. Yay. Uh, they hooked that up at Star Trek Las Vegas. Actually, it's finally less than 100 degrees today in L.A., so I can debut my Ethiopian scarf. Oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> very nice. There you go. There you because go. Because 91 degrees is scarf weather here in L.A. Right, right around there. <laughs> So uh, very big shout out to our friends at Lambda Quadrant and very special thanks to you, Mr. Sirach Lofton, for bringing this back all the way from Ethiopia. It still oh. smells like Ethiopia, I think. No. Yeah. But no, it did. Yet. It's worn out. It did at one point. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for that. I will uh, cherish it forever. You me up with these uh, green, yellow, red bracelets Ooh. at the uh, con. So I'm still rocking them. Thank you to them, Steph. Big shout out to you. Show the um, open it up. There it is. That's that green, yellow, red. These were basically uh, designed for the you know for the fans to kind of let people know whether they were good with distance, social distance, and what distance to maintain. But since they made them in green, yellow, red, I figured I'd put them all together and make myself a little Ethiopian flag bandana to wear on my bracelet. So thank you very much to the Lambda Quadrant guys. Plus, it means you're it good out. with you're good with no touch, handshakes, hugs. You're like, I'm good with all of it. Yeah, it was a confusing thing for people. <laughs> <laughs> Stop, mm -hmm. though. Slow down. I am not sure which one. <laughs> well, this is it. It's time to talk about this episode entitled Soldiers of the Empire. What do you guys think of it? Uh, well, um, as far as like the relationship between Dax and Worf, I thought it was a good way for them to show their relationship and mm -hmm. how they communicate with each other. Um, 
And I like the way Dax doesn't uh, give up on trying to get her point across and in, in how she goes about doing it with Worf. It's, she's sensitive to, you know, how he is. So she's playing to, you know, certain elements that she knows could push his buttons. And um, I, I think for real, as a story, for their relationship, um, it, it expands upon what we've seen them, be, you know, between the two of them. I've seen them fighting a lot with, you know, just like doing these fight scenes. Um, but to me, this shows a more intimate kind of understanding each other level that we hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. We also got a Nog sighting, right, Melissa? Yeah, right there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was a special too, um, special moment seeing him on this one. I kind of didn't expect it, so it was it was great when it just popped up. Nice, yeah, yeah. It was a good scene. It was a, it um, it, it felt like it was kind of an unintentional foreshadowing to the lower decks, because oh. I could definitely see Nog being a lower decker, you know. Cadet Nog, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and working with his superiors and his reactions to Worf, which I liked that pairing too, of Nog and Worf together. <laughs> working oh yeah, together. that's a great odd couple right there. Yeah. Uh, because Worf <laughs> still kind of, even though Nog is a Ferengi, even though Nog was a troublesome kid, even though Nog is a cadet, Worf still kind of respects him for the fact that, you know, Nog gets like 100% He's always yes, sir, and no, sir, and you know there's a little a little bit of respect there. It's also it was also great when you know two six foot four Klingons are on either side of Nog, and he's just like, can I just can I just get through here? Yeah, love that. Yeah, well, and and he, Nog's also the first of his kind to of be in Starfleet, so they they've kind of got that in common as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, what I liked about that scene, you know, there were a few moments there and, um, you know, just knowing Aaron, how he is as a person that I think there's certain elements that he adds that are not written on the script, right? These are just things that he brings to his performance, why he makes certain choices in certain areas. Um, one of the things that I think he brought to the table that I don't believe was in the script, but I have to double check, but um, it was a moment where uh, Nog is talking with Worf. Worf is underneath the console, kind of digging up in there so he can't see Nog, but he's talking to him. And Nog's like, yes, sir, sure, sure, right? He's like, I want you to go down and uh, reboot the system and download each program individually, yeah. right? And just basically all this tedious work. And you can see it's frustrating Nog because he's like, I already, we, this, we did this already. Like, we're going to do it yeah. again, you know? This is not working. <laughs> And there's a moment where he, he puts, he reaches out his hands and like, I wish I could just choke you right now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it makes me wonder, like, I know he added that in there. I know he was just like, you know, oh, this guy's getting under my skin so much. I just want to, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was something that he made a personal choice on. It mm. felt to me like uh, Aaron decided, you know, oh, this is, this is, I'm going to actually do a physical gesture 
to accentuate the way I feel. Um, can't I can't prove that right now because I, I don't have the yeah. script in front of me and I don't know what it says, but it just feels like that's Aaron taking it one step further and adding his own uh, special touch in that scene. Mm. Fun. Yeah. What do you think would have happened if uh, Nog did actually grab Worf by the neck? <laughs> I, I, would, I would even go a step further. What would have happened if Worf saw Nog? Yeah. Making yeah. Right? That would have been funny. Yeah. yeah. They could have added that in there, and that would have been a great line. Like, what was that you just did, Cadet? Uh, yeah. Nothing, sir. Uh, just stretching my arms, you know. So. <laughs> there we go. All better. I'm ready to recalibrate yeah, I'm stuff ready. now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that would have been a nice little call right there. I, I, I think that would have been funny because Worf would not take any of that. Clearly, he's he he doesn't put take no for an answer, and he doesn't like uh, disobedience. You know. Right. <laughs> So that would have been a great moment. To, they could have expanded on that, you know, and, mm. and literally called it out. But I just feel like uh, that little touch, just that little touch is something that he added to the scene. Mm. And even further than that, there was, we just mentioned the being stuck be- between two, six, four Klingons, right? Yeah. And uh, in that scene, when he, when he kind of is like, excuse me, sir, uh, could I just slip by, you know, can, can you just get scooch over a little bit so I can slide by here? Um, he does a little laugh at the end of that. And that that's another thing that he has added to his character. It's like a nervous laugh, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like can I slip by, <laughs> you know? Like just, and he, yeah. And it was yeah. a great little touch, that little laugh it's at the end of that. So- yeah, it was so true to the moment, though. And, you know, you would feel, okay, can I just, you know, come on. Brett, <laughs> I can see you're having a private conversation here. You guys are talking about the future of the Klingon Empire. And yeah. uh, if I can get out of the way, you guys can do your thing. Just let me get out of here and, uh, you know, get get back to not having to listen to Worf uh, come up with stupid <laughs> ideas. <laughs> Yeah, and well, you know, and also, yeah, go ahead. No, no, please. No, I was gonna say, and I also noticed uh, when Nog was leaving General Martok, I could hear his thought, Martok's thought, as he was leaving. I mean, he didn't say anything, but it was like, ah, Ferengi's, yeah, and you know, <laughs> it's just right, right. He was, he was a little confused, but kind of, you know amused by it as well <laughs> and annoyed so there was a lot going on in that that split second right and you know what was going on for me yeah. too was that it's cool to see even if Aaron only gets one or two scenes in an episode it's great to see that character progression of you know because remember at first they just needed his ears you know and then they needed him for something else and then they needed from for his ears again and then now he's kind mm-hmm. of being integrated a little bit more. He's, you know, he's still not like part of this main crew thing, but he's working his way up and they're showing it. So it's not like this stark difference when 
we see him on the defiant, you know, doing whatever he's going to be doing. We see the slow growth and project. Pro, uh, well, I already forgot the word I'm looking for, but anyway, the uh, progression. See, progression. Yeah, yeah. I, that maybe that's the word. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, we're we're watching him grow, and it also shows how each officer will learn to eventually trust him because he's working with each one of them individually bit by bit. So as time goes on, each one of them has kind of formulated a a work relationship with him, which I think is also great to show. Yeah. Well, and it shows the, the building of that trust that they can count on him in a crisis. And he's proven that over and over again. And I do like that uh, that they they sh- sprinkle him in here and there, so it, it's not just okay. So yeah, now he's in Starfleet, and we're we're just not going to do anything else with that. It's mm-hmm. the the continuity that's really nice to see of of Nog's journey too. Yeah, and he also stands out because he's wearing the cadet uniform. It, it, it just yeah, kind of totally. makes him stand out a lot. Right, because everybody's in their in their regular Starfleet stuff, and he's like the only cadet I see walking around. So it's not like there's, you know, hundreds of cadets walking around, and he kind of blends in. He actually stands out because yeah. he's in the cadet uniform. Um, right. So I think it's another special thing to see him kind of trying to work his way up, and you also respect him because he's working on all the aspects of the ship, right? He's literally in the minutia of everything. He's, in, he's behind the panels. He's working with engineering with O'Brien. He's working with Worf. Like he's, um, he basically can take the ship apart and put it back together, which is a skill that, you know, not too many people have. So we're seeing that he's learning it from all facets. So when he does eventually become a captain, which we know later on, right? Right. In, in, uh, we know that he is probably best suited because he's went through all of these steps and he's worked his way up and he's, he started from the bottom and now he's all, you know, he makes it to the top and you know that a guy like that, it's like when you, um, somebody's works their way up as an employee to the CEO of a company, right? They start in the mail room and then they worked here and now 20 years later, they're the CEO of IBM or something. Totally. Mm-hmm. You respect you respect the, you have a certain level of respect for those people because you know they know the intricacies and they worked all the different levels right they were they did the fries they did the burgers yes 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 yeah right you respect those people mm-hmm. because yeah. they, you know they they know the value of each role in the in each cog in the wheel and you know they don't just give out and bark out orders to people asking them to do something that they themselves wouldn't do. They are capable of doing it themselves and have done it themselves. So mm-hmm. there's a certain mm-hmm. level of respect that you give to somebody who's worked their way up in that kind of a way. Yeah. You know, that's a great point because it's true. Like if somebody just kind of transfers in and they say, Hey, can you do this for me? And they, you can kind of tell that they don't really know what they're talking about. They're like that, you know, just fix that thing. That's, whatever. Whereas somebody that's worked their way up, they could just be like, Hey, can you do this? Oh, you're too busy. I'll do it. And they, they can go do it. Cause they used to be the bus boy or they used to be the fry guy, or they used to be the PA, you know, they know, right. they know everything right. in and out. That's a great point. You know, yeah. 
uh, earlier while we were talking about uh, Nog's growth, I, I, something else kind of dawned on me. I shouldn't be thinking of other things while I'm talking about one thing, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happened. Uh, I was, I was kind of reminded that with, with certain Star Trek episodes, when you have a main character going to a different planet or going to a different ship, they always are accompanied by a second member of the crew. The writers always want that extra person to be like their confidant or their guide or their friend, you know, like when, when O'Brien goes to, to court, you know, in like the second season, you've got Odo there, you know, uh, when, uh, when Odo goes to the changeling planet, you've got Kira there, for example, you know, they always have, they always figure out a way, the writers always figure out a way to bring a second person because otherwise it's, it's tough for that, for that one character to kind of carry the main story. They always need like a second person to bounce things off of. They already have a relationship with. So it was obviously a really good and fun idea to bring Dax along because we already yes. know and love Dax and it makes it a better story for us, but it also, you know, works well with, with Worf because he needs to be able to talk to somebody. Otherwise we're going to be forced to believe that he's found a confidant in one of the Klingons that we just met right. three seconds ago, you know, where he's like, you know, uh, like, what, what are the characters' names? You know, Leskit, I must speak Leskit. with you about my feelings. <laughs> you know, he's not going to do that. But Dax, he can, you know, he can confide in her. Well, and I think it was important that she is his Parmakai because she does have a, a closeness with him and a way of speaking to him that nobody else is going to speak to him in that way. He kind of softens her around her, even when he's, you know, trying to exert his dominance as a male Klingon. But, you know, uh, <laughs> but, but and, and she has the patience with him and the wisdom of seven lifetimes to help him through these challenging moments, which, which I don't think any other member of the crew could have helped him as much as she did, especially with her experience with Klingons. Do you think if she were Italian, she'd be his chicken parmakai? No, oh, man, I knew something was coming. I just didn't know that was it. You didn't know it was going to be that bad. When Melissa said parmakai, I was like, hmm, yum, sounds good. <laughs> anyway, I'm very yeah. sorry for derailing us. <laughs> sorry, thank you for that. Appreciate that. Wow. Uh, wow. No. I, <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, it's funny when you said pairing. It, it it made me think about, you know, like these episodes that we've watched. And yes, that is a common theme for them to have a secondary character go mm -hmm. along when they leave the planet, I mean, leave the station or go on a trip. For example, I remember Dax and Kira were paired together one time to go on some research to, you know, right. um, explore something. Um, there's been many times where I, where I can see that happening. Even the, in the later series now uh, with Discovery, they usually pair two people together when they're going somewhere and doing something. Even mm -hmm. the animated series puts Boimler and Mariner together or they put Shax and Freeman together. So there's always this pairing, and you're right about that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just nothing. It's just something I didn't pay attention to until you pointed that out in that way. Man, Which is you... smart because there's always somebody there to be the id, 
you know, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to the ego. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. always somebody to keep the other person grounded and saying, no, this isn't, it's probably, you're not approaching this in the best way. So it, I think that's a wonderful tool that they use to pair. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt you. <laughs> Ryan. Oh, no, I'm glad you did save me. I was actually just going to throw in Mariner with the chicken parmakai joke. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Because it all oh, works. Too. So, boy, is it time you for a break? Uh, oh, <laughs> it is time for a break. I am so otherwise, boy, oh, boy, would I love to huh? explore that. <laughs> chicken parmakai. <laughs> with Mariner. <laughs> with Mariner. Oh, yes. Mariner sauce. Okay, so we're gonna take a a quick. We're gonna take a quick break. I'm gonna compose myself. Sorok's gonna slap me around. Uh, Melissa's gonna wave her finger, and then we're gonna get this (laughs) ship righted and get right back on track. And we'll be right back on the seventh rule. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the most serious episode of The Seventh Rule Ever with Sorok Lofton. Hello, hello. Melissa Longo, of course, is here. Hi. My <laughs> name is Ryan T. Husk. We're doing a <laughs> review of Deep Space Nine's Season 5, Episode 21, Soldiers of the Empire. And uh, very quickly, here are the trivioids that may or may not have made the cutting room floor. We got a lot of them, kind of. General Martok almost got his brachial artery severed in a training exercise. He said it was a uh, holosuite thing, but we found out later it's a training exercise with Wolf. General Martok does not want an artificial eye. Cadet Nog is helping Lieutenant Commander Worf fix the Defiant. Martok admits he wept at the thought of never being in a Klingon vessel again. Captain Sisko relieves Worf of all Starfleet obligations and places him on detached services to the Imperial Klingon Defense Forces. Dax says the quintessential first officer is an uncaring, hard-nosed autocrat. Dax also needs three barrels of Klingon blood wine to wash down her stewed Bokrat liver. And Leskit sounds like a sniveling Ferengi crying about lost profit. And lastly, Martok says the Jem'Hadar are soulless creatures. <clears throat> yeah. Depends on the Jem'Hadar you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> judge them all and i did a check on imdb and um the character leskit his last name is physical physical. wow there you go sirach on a roll we need to let you handle the joke sirach yours are way better than mine dude wow (laughs) good lord only you can see those notes though you hit those notes right I need to recover from that. I just got, I just got burnt. Now my joke sounds even worse because yours was an A. Well, you didn't add the, uh, the Bajoran cowbell to yours. Oh yeah. 
Let's get physical. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, yeah, you know what? It's funny because I was waiting for one of your trivias to be playing on blood takes days to get out of the carpet. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. That is a good one. <laughs> oh, man. Mm, never mind. That reminds me of like a, a meme I saw recently about a carpet, and it's just not. It's just really All right. Weird. Anyway, our, our good buddy. Man. Our good buddy, uh, Darnell Davis, posted. Shout out to Darnell Davis, by the way, our good friend. Darnell. But, yeah, he posted something yesterday about some 70s shag carpet. And it was oh. basically, in a nutshell, it was like a, a lovemaking carpet. And it was the whole, it was like a, an advertisement that was like, you know, it's so fuzzy and furry that as you rub on it, it gets softer and, and tickles you everywhere or something. I don't even know, but. Was there a, a, a mostly naked man on there? I'm not. With the curly the, hair? Yeah, I think so. Very 70s, but that's clearly a one use item, right? I mean, can you, right? Oh, you only you use that once. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get, anyway, let's get out of this. Oh, yeah, get out of the carpet. So <laughs> Rick Worthy, by the way, Rick Worthy, everybody, an excellent actor. When I saw his name flash on the screen, I knew to look for him. And he showed up in the form of Cornan, the weapons officer. Uh, he he was one of the Zindi in Enterprise, one of the main Zindi. Really cool actor. I feel like he. He was also, if I remember correctly, he was also a Starfleet officer, possibly on a Voyager. Sirak, looks like you might be looking him up. Yeah, I was wondering who the actor that played that guy was. And you, now you're pointing it out to me. He's been around a few times. So as soon as I saw his name, I was like, oh, cool. And I recognized him right away because that that Klingon makeup, if you know the actor, you can recognize the actor in Klingon makeup because it just kind of covers up their forehead and messes up their teeth. But it's definitely, you know, the actor is definitely yeah. recognizable. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking at him now. Uh, he played Janar, uh, 10 episodes, uh, the, the Zindi, 10 episodes in Enterprise. And uh, Insurrection, he was an, a Lauren officer. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. And in Voyager... He was crewman Noah Lessing in Equinox Part 1 and 2, and he was an alien character in Prototype on Star Trek Voyager as well. Cool. So, yeah, I remember seeing him in, in like, Voyager uniform, but I couldn't remember what it was. Anyway, cool actor. All of the Klingon yeah. actors were, were cool. It was good to see a nice new crew of Klingons, right? Yeah, it was fun to watch. I, I really liked um, what the guy what was his name uh, the guy who played cronin rick worthy rick worthy i like what he did what what he did with his role he had a, a quiet presence but it was you you stood up and took notice of that presence mm -hmm. um without yeah. it being in your face mm -hmm. yeah right and that that's uh he was the weapons officer cornin and uh, actually his last name is o'brien um oh my gosh uh then the uh the engineering <laughs> officer was tavana 
which mm-hmm. did make me think of Devon Attendee on Lower Decks. So I kind of had to like re-listen. I was like, they say Devana, but no, it was, it was Tavana. So that's different right. enough for us. And Liskit, who was uh, Sorok's favorite. And there was also Ortakin. I think those Ortakin. were all the ones we met. Yeah. Ortakin. Yeah. Um, I thought that JG did a fantastic job in this episode. He did a lot to carry it with, with the scenes that he had. Um, and there were certain monologues in there, which I thought he delivered excellently. Um, yeah. Even in the beginning when he's talking with Bashir, and Bashir is like, well, if you had it just done this, you would have done And he's like, oh, God, human's obsession with what might have happened. It was like, yeah. and it made me think, yeah, we were too obsessed for what might have happened. Like, that's a, that is a human thing. Like, we always yeah. say, man, if I was, just, if I just, if I was there five minutes earlier, I would have done this. Or yeah. if you had, if you had just, you know, if, if I played that slot machine and instead of this one, I could have won the jackpot, you know, or whatever it is. We always kind of play out what might have happened in our minds or in our conversations with people. So I thought that was a, a clever observation by Martok or mm-hmm. by the writers to, you know, to point mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, speaking of Martok, I think it's interesting how Deep Space Nine highlights so well different people's um, dealing different people, how they deal with post-traumatic stress, because Martok is definitely dealing with post-traumatic stress from having been in the Jem'Hadar camp for two years. So I think it, it, it's interesting that they, they highlight in different stories and um, just kind of shine a flashlight on it that, you know, people deal with stress and trauma in in different ways some people run to danger and others hide from danger and and for a klingon to hide from danger that's you know it, it, it's it's an interesting look into um post-traumatic stress you know yes uh i always like it when star trek writers take us in a direction that we don't expect <clears throat> because i hadn't seen this in a while so I was half expecting for everybody to question Martok and question him and question him and question him. And then finally, boom, he's proven right. And he's like, see, for two years I was in this camp and I'm not crazy. I'm not, I haven't lost my mind. You know, I told you, you know, whatever. And he has his redemption story. And then they all kind of like, look, and that's kind of where I thought it, it might go. Cause things like that, have happened in the past in Star Trek episodes where the person they think, you know, kind of needs to be nudged in one direction is proven to be right. But obviously this is much more effective. The fact that he does have that PTSD and Worf doesn't really want to embarrass him. He wants to let him regain his strength for himself and re-respect himself, but also gain the respect in the eyes of his crew. And Worf sacrifices himself for that. And that's a, a much better ending in so many different ways, especially with, you know, how it ends with Martok inviting him into uh, the house of Martok. I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but that's definitely a better twist, I thought. So I was really happy with that. No surprise, Ronald D. Moore's a great writer. 
Yeah. Well, and it, it reveals character. It, it's without it being on the nose, hitting you over the head on um, what a noble man worth is. It, you know, it, it shows it through action and, and the choices that he makes and, and accepting the consequences that may come along with those choices. He didn't know if Martok was going to kill him or not, but he made the choice anyway because, you know, he's, he's a loyal friend and soldier and first officer. Yeah, I think you make an excellent point, Melissa, about post-traumatic stress. And this show does deal with that a lot with Kira's character. Um, Dax was dealing with it when she was reflecting on her past lives. And a lot of people have been dealing with it. Renee um, Odo's character is dealing with it when, you know, um, what he's been dealing with um, prior to, um, you know, DS9 being Deep Space Nine when it was Derek Nor and he had to deal right. with that stress and, of getting those people. And Cisco in the first episode. Yeah. Right. So I think you made an excellent point and they really um, deal with it with very sensitive, in a sensitive way and mm -hmm. try to get the best results out of it by, you know, talking things out, having certain uh, storylines happen so that people are put in situations where they have to make decisions. So I think it's a very uh, redemptive thing. It's, it's, it's a healing uh, thing for people to kind of go through this process as they watch the show. And the other thing I wanted to point out was the multi-episode plot arcs that is always being talked about um, on Deep Space Nine and how they were the pioneer of that, um, especially when it comes to Star Trek. Um, that becomes clear in this episode because you get to see, for example, um, Worf talk about the time when Martok saved him in the episode previously that we had seen right. where Warp was fighting uh, the Jemadar and he was about to give up and uh, those, that, that moment there. So they never really touched on that moment. They never really explained that moment or had a follow-up to that moment. So this was an opportunity for them to follow it up, even though that, I think that happened maybe five or six episodes mm -hmm. um, prior to this episode. So another kind of, multi-episode plot art that you see kind of developing in front of you um and you know there's just examples of that all over all over the show where they keep bringing up things from episodes that we had seen before and i like i like that because it makes you um you know a lot of shows go and they do one episode and then they move on to the next one and they don't really recall things from the past so like we normally do in our lives, right? Hey, you remember that bachelor party you had? Or, hey, that Vegas trip? Or we, we normally bring things back up um, in our lives. And Deep Space Nine does a job of kind of bringing things back up, bringing back topics, and not letting things go the way we normally would in our own lives. Right, right. Which is the more honest storytelling, in my opinion, because our histories are make us who we are you know this is how we evolve by by learning from our past experiences and if we forget about that and from the next episode to the next then it's like well how am i supposed to invest in you or the character if everything that you've told me up until this point is forgotten you know so right it feels more honest in my opinion yes uh, there were also some lines in this episode. Um, uh, sorry, Ryan, I know you're going to make a point. 
I'll let you no, go. It, it can wait. I was just going to say that I, every time you guys go, Oh, Ryan, what were you going to say? You really shouldn't. Uh, I found, <laughs> I found the love rug. I found the love rug. So I was just going to oh. say, we'll, we'll uh, save that maybe for the free for all for the adult portion <laughs> of the show. So I don't want to. Yes. Uh, okay. It was our yes. good friend, Let's Mr. Darnell Davis. Davis here, you know, right. Apparently Melissa's already it. seen it. She know you were right. Yeah. There was a very suggestive man on there. Anyway, okay. you're right. Yeah. So everybody stay tuned oh, for wow. the free for all. We'll unveil that shortly. The unveiling the unveiling. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, the I liked also the scene where Dax kind of gets confronted by the crew mm-hmm. and she has to stand up for herself and they say something to the effect like, uh, uh, I, you know, nobody's going to tell unless you're going to tell, and, you know, unless Worf's bed isn't the only one you're sleeping in. Oh, zip. Yeah. And, then, and, and then her response was, was just great when she said, my Fantastic. bed is empty. Except unlike yours, it's by choice. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was, it was great. That's like comeback. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love that exchange right there. I love the way Dex uh, speaks up for herself. I like her assertiveness. I like mm-hmm. her confidence. I like that she has the wisdom to impart that helps uh, Worf kind of deal with the situation at hand and, and understand what's going on. So mm-hmm. she plays an intricate part in this. And I think I see a, I see a person in her that, you know, I, I feel more comfortable with. And I've seen like her growth and even her character has come a long way, in my opinion. And I, I enjoyed watching her, for example, uh, beat up the guy when he was sitting in her seat. You know, like, that's my seat. <laughs> I was like, yeah. don't sit in Jack's seat. <laughs> She's. She's like, uh, she's jailhouse about her seat selection. <laughs> <laughs> she goes hard. So well, she's also like, perfect. I liked it. She's the perfect character to hang out with the Klingons too. Like Kira has the strength, but not really the disposition for it. Like if somebody kind of got in her way or did something, she would take it. Per- she'd be like, no, we're fighting about this. That's it. Whereas Dax can kind of like, keep it light and laugh and just be like, Hey, I'm going to be tough, but then we're going to drink, you know, uh, Cisco yeah. has also shown he can do that. Uh, but yeah, someone like O'Brien, Kira, Odo, that's there. They won't fit in with Klingons. Uh, but yeah, everybody that's watched the next generation knows that commander William T. Riker can pull it off. He can do it. Yeah, there's been a there was one episode, I think it was like early on, like second season that he did that. But it's always cool to see which character, you know, if they're putting a character into these different elements to show off how good they are in this kind of element or to create the fish out of water scenario. And in this case, it was to show how cool Dax is that, you know, and plus, you know, Curzon was was quite knowledgeable with Klingons and all, and she already has a leg up and that they do respect her as soon as they find out she's Dax. They go, Oh, curse on Dax. Oh, I liked him. So, so maybe you're all right. Well, and, and I also think that she's, she's an observer in a sense that she can read a room better than yeah. a lot of people. And uh, she knows 
how Klingons think, of course, because of Curzon and, and her own experiences with Klingons. Um, so she, it, it's kind of a calculating way to get into the good with, you know, getting good with the Klingons, but also um, it, it shows her her experience and her wisdom too, that, that she, you know, she, she'll sit back and observe when she needs to see what's going on, assess the situation. And if she needs to step in, she will. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is why she got herself assigned to, um, to the mission as well. It's because she saw the, the, the Klingons coming into the, into Quark's bar and was like, okay, maybe, maybe Worf needs a wingman um, for this mission. You know, wing woman, wing man. And the way, the way she told him was, was great. You know, uh, yeah. sometimes yes. they, sometimes Star Trek writes those in and you go, okay, that's, that's cute. I get it. But then sometimes you're like, okay, that's really, really funny. Especially the way Terry Farrell delivered it with that coy yes. smile. She's like, oh, I think I just thought it'd be fun to do it this way or whatever she says, uh, where she's yeah, just kind of like, she, it's more fun this way. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's more fun, more fun this, this way. way. Right. And she delivered it so beautifully. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was nice, playful moment. And Warp is like, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I thought he would be so, more this because she's like, I already talked to Cisco and General Martha. I'm like, dude, I'm the last to know, you know. <laughs> I, I thought he was more but he wasn't. He, he, he kind of let it go. And there's also moments, too, by the way, what Dax does to Warp. Warp is usually, uh, Make sure that this is this. And go here. I don't think so. And then there's moments where he softens up for Dax. Where he doesn't mm-hmm. soften up for anybody else. He's like, right. you, have to let, you have to let me. You know, he explains it to her in a different voice almost. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. It's like, like he actually changes his voice. He doesn't have yes. the growl and, and the, the grit behind it. He's like, I have to do it like this because, it, you know, I need to. Do, you know, and he, he talks directly to her mm-hmm. in a more subtle intimate way which you would do with somebody that you love and care about um but he has to break his facade for a second sometimes to tell Mm her hey you know you're undermining what i got going on here like (laughs) chill out for a second (laughs) don't embarrass me in front of my friends <laughs> yeah, some, something to that, and I will not have it any other way. You know. <laughs> so I yeah. like the fact that she brings that out of him. She yeah. brings that out of Worf, where he's like, "I have to do," it. you know, like he has to have this sidebar conversation with her, you know, before he moves forward. And they have this understanding where she's like, yeah, but I just want you to know things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, you know? <laughs> and they have that little conversation and then they go back to their public persona, you know, okay, now everybody back to work, you know? Um, so there, that little intimacy right there is excellent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> I, and I also wanted to just highlight one other thing, which was again, how fantastic JG is as an actor and mm. the performance that he gave in this episode. I like the line that he gave, and this probably will be my favorite line of the episode, Ryan, since you were asking or about to ask. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but his, it was my favorite line. Is he says, I only have one eye, but I can see more clearly than anyone around here. Nice. And oh, the way he said that, 
yeah. I just was like, oh man, that's an A plus right there. Great. Mm-hmm. And then he followed it up with a speech, but just the whole, I only have one eye, but I can see better than everyone around here. I thought that was a, it was just a classic line for me. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good one. I was, I kind of got lost in thought, like imagining if when, you know, Dax tells Worf she's coming along with him. Uh, if he started to protest, it would have been funny if she made a line like, don't worry, I won't embarrass you in front of your little Klingon friends or something. <laughs> you know, something <laughs> just kind of like patting him on the head. Don't worry, yeah. Worf. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Martok did have a lot of great lines and mm. great moments as we're watching his journey from, you know, healing up physically and mentally from two years of, of trials and rigors. And, uh, you know, he's, he's fighting with Worf ahead of time, you know, training, I guess, uh, because he's trying to become, you know, a warrior again, but the last thing to be fit to be a warrior for him is his mentality. You know, he's, he's training his physicality, but mentally he's, he's not ready, even if he thinks he is. And it was cool to see that transition that Worf pulled out of him. And I think that's probably it. I don't think we're going to see, I think it was a one episode arc. We're not going to see Martok a few episodes later being like, well, I don't know. I, I'm still not quite feeling right. I think that's it. You're going to be like, yeah. be like okay, yeah. you saw the transition moving on. You guys get it. He, he, he got past that. And part of me wondered that uh, Martok inviting Worf knew mm-hmm. that he had the problem to begin with. And if he could trust anyone to get him out of it or help him through it, it would have been Worf, which says a lot. I, I don't know. Subconsciously, I think yeah. he, he may have invited Worf for that reason to be his first officer. Yeah, and I like the moment at the end when um, Martok asked Worf, he said, uh, uh, how did you know that I wouldn't kill you? And Worf is like, I did not. And that was just a nice, was like a good moment there. It was like, mm-hmm. I put the trust in your, it was in your hands. You could have killed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Martok, another part of that moment that I liked was when he says, you know, thank you for doing that. And Worf doesn't want to like take the credit. So he's like, you did the same for me. And he rolled his eyes a little bit right. and kind of walked away. <laughs> like he, he, he felt uncomfortable for him to kind of deal with that, you know, accept the thank you for that. Mm-hmm. You, you did the same for me. Like I, I didn't walk away. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't deserve, I don't deserve any accolades for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but Martok's like, no, 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 come back here, young fella. You know, <laughs> you, 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 show, you did right. That? You did the right thing. I'm yeah. proud of you. And I'm so proud of you that I'm welcoming you into, into my house and restoring your honor. And, you know, and, um, I think that was a big gesture too. That that was a very special moment for Worf because he got some kind of redemption mm-hmm. from the Klingon Empire for you know being disgraced and whatever. So even though he should have received it prior to this for all the other things he's done, but this was the thing that kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. So I, I just like the fact that they had that moment between the two of them where now they feel like they're basically family, right? Yeah. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, he said, yeah. we welcome like you into son. our family. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And now so, you are a, a brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that's a big moment in in Worf's growth and story arc that is now, you know, nine seasons deep or something like that because he had seven years in the next generation as well, where he's, you know, disgraced and dishonored. And Sirach, right. you mentioned the word redemption twice already, at least. And I do remember uh, up in my notes, one of the first things I typed in, in capital letters is redemption story. It's redemption mm-hmm. for, uh, for Martok. It's mm-hmm. redemption mm-hmm. for the Rataran and her crew. It's redemption finally for Worf in, in mm-hmm. his in his arc, the whole thing is, is a redemption story for everybody. And it's yeah. just a really, you know, we, we don't want that moment to be lost. It's just one scene for Worf, but it's a long time coming for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I felt. That's what I felt. And, um, you know, and when Worf was trying to downplay it, but, you know, the significance of that is like, he's been on a long journey to be accepted. He's, you know, um, put himself in a position where he was outcast by his entire race. And, you know, he was looked down upon because he chose Starfleet. And, and now here it is, Starfleet is giving him the opportunity to get this done, right? Cisco, uh, I thought Cisco did a great job. He was in this for just a second, but there was a moment where Cisco and Worf were in the office together and Worf is explaining that he wanted to go and Cisco essentially listens to his reasoning, jumps on the pad, starts typing, and he says, as of this moment, you've been relieved of all your Starfleet yeah. duties. Mm-hmm. And then Worf starts, Worf starts to exit this, the, the office and Cisco yells out to him in a very aggressive and authoritative way, Mr. Yeah. Warp, you know, and it's like, oh, shit, he's about to get he's about to get chewed out right now. And then he turns around and he hits him with the kapla, you know, um, which was which I thought was another special be- moment between Cisco and Warp. Now it's like, you know, you've earned my respect and I'm going to give you a, a blank check to go out here and do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To get, to get it done right mm-hmm. yeah Which is what he's done yeah. for kira in the past as well mm-hmm. right right yeah i was i was gonna say that cisco really impressed me in his scene uh because he has a wonderful way of of letting the people know under his command that they can open up to him and they do open up to him that they will listen to their requests and and make an assessment fairly and honestly he's not going to jump to one decision or another right you know without thinking it through and trying to find out what their intent for taking this course is and it shows that he really cares about the the mental well-being of his crew and, and, and shows that there's a respect that everyone in the crew is valuable. They all have something wonderful to bring to, to the table. Uh-oh. Um, I know. Here I see the um, 
but and also it shows his sensitivity and respect for other people's cultures too which is when he said kapla it showed a respect for Worf's cultures and right. his culture and he does that with the bajorans and he does that with the ferengi the not you know barely the ferengi though <laughs> but yeah um, but i mean he is pretty fair well, with yeah, he signed nog on to the thing you know he basically exactly. signed his paperwork and, and wrote a letter of recommendation for him mm-hmm. um so yes he and i want to just say excellent point melissa because yes and that's what they basically told us in this because when Worf is explaining why he wanted to go he says there was a moment between me and Martok when he gave me the warriors look, you know, mm-hmm. and that we had this exchange. And then he further says to Cisco, as a human, I don't expect you to understand. Ooh. Right. And Cisco listens, like he, he's listening to even mm-hmm. that part of it, right? So he's listening, right. he's listening, he's like, okay, so this is something that's beyond my understanding. This is the Klingon thing. Um, but there's a spiritual thing connection that happened between the two of them and this and that. So he's, he's weighing all of these things. So Cisco, uh, is an excellent listener mm-hmm. and like you were just pointing out, uh, respective and understanding of people's cultures and point of view. Like he weighs so much in before he makes yeah. his decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Mr. Ty. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a nitpick is coming. <laughs> Mr. Wolf, do you know what time it is? No, Captain, I do not. It's time for the nitpick, damn it. <laughs> the Klingons called General Martok the one-eyed giant, but he's like 6'4", and aren't all Klingons like 6'4"? He's not a giant to them. Come on. Mm. Piss me off. Mm. I'm um, livid. I, I also had a little bit of a nitpick that oh. I've been kind of, you know, going back and forth about. But um, when the Klingons entered the entered Quark's bar, and um, somebody said those are Cardassian neck bones around his, you know, around mm-hmm. his neck. And I was thinking, well, if they didn't have any victories up to that point, how did he get the Cardassian neck bones? Ooh, you nerd. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> solid nitpick. That's, that's a solid one. Yeah. And it's funny because I have a nitpick to add to that nitpick. Oh. Marisa. Yeah. Yes. And when he, when he said those are Cardassian bones around his neck, he was telling that to Dr. Bashir. And I'm thinking, how does oh. Dr. Bashir not <laughs> totally. know what Totally. Like? Oh. Bashir's like, I know that. <laughs> what do you take me for? <laughs> yeah. And we already That's... know that he's genetically enhanced. So, you know, yeah. you would have known yeah. that right away. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, that's the hippopotamus bone, of course. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we've got to uh, run. Uh, We're going to get Jake Sisko guesses the IMDb score on the other side. Uh, Very quickly, um, special thanks to Carmen, a.k.a. Skillet, TJ Jackson Bay out in Missouri, Bill Victor Arukin. Arukin. Yvette Blackman, (laughs) Homer Freezy out somewhere in New Yeezy. Eve England out in Wales, Dr. Anne-Marie Siegel, Dr. Susan B. Gruner, 
Titus Muller, Tim Baum, John Mann, Mark Rocco, Darlena Marie, and Rex A. Wood. All right. Sweet. Here we go. We'll see you on the other side on the free-for-all. You guys don't know what's coming your way. We'll be right back on the seventh rule. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the seventh rule. This is the free-for-all. Melissa and Sirach are back. We are joined by Eve England out in Wales, Dr. Susan V. Gruner in Florida. Yay. <laughs> and TJ Jackson Bay out in Missouri. Uh, very nice. So before we get started, we are owed a Jake Cisco guesses the IMDb score. Oh, yeah. Um, I know. I really like I like the episode. I think it was like a seven eight, seven point seven, seven point eight. That's uh, my guess. Does anybody else, Melissa? Don't give it away. <laughs> she knows. Uh, does anybody else have any uh, any guesses you want to throw out, or do you already? If you already know, no guessing. Okay, I don't know, so I'm going to throw out an eight point two. I think it should be an eight point something. Mm. Yeah. Above yeah it might be an eight. It might be an eighter. I, I really <laughs> love this episode. I'm, I'm going to have to Anne-Marie this one. My, my vote is a 10. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Eve? Do you have a guess as to what oh. IMDb score is? Yeah, I think it's maybe an 8.1 around that sort of. And it's one of those difficult ones. I think people either just really love it because they love Klingons and they like that. But I think a lot of people might not like the fact that it took everything away from the station. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it could be a bit of an up and down one. Well, Sirach, you'll be happy to know it was a 7.8 on IMDb. Oh. Whoa. Perfect. Wow. Perfect score. Perfect. <laughs> I'm right off this thing. I'm, I'm in tune with the IMDb guys. <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, oh, that's right. Okay. Um, as promised, guys. I, I don't know, Melissa, but even Sue are here. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, let's let's keep it classy. Are you not going to show this shag carpet thing? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. It was an advert, you you know, uh, advertisement. It was an advertisement from the seventies that our buddy Darnell found and posted. Uh, Let's put it to a vote. There are five of you show or not show. Show. Yeah, show. Okay. There it is. Uh, Let's see. The shows have it. (laughs) Fork it over. Um, it's coming there we go oh god 
<laughs> the love room. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh wait, you can't I see the whole shag carpeting too. Oh my you can't god. See the whole thing. Um okay, well we see enough. <laughs> well, let me read it. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> it says the love rug strokes your bodies as you make love. <laughs> Once you feel the sensuous delight of the furry love rug, <laughs> you'll never go back to an ordinary bed again. As you stroke, <laughs> oh god! Says, As you stroke, it strokes the incredibly soft fur-like fibers caress your body from head to toe. It's almost like having another lover there with the two of you. The love rug is as beautiful to look at as, as it is to feel. Only another animal of its stripe could only another animal of its stripe could tell it wasn't real. Only $150 in your favorite fur texture. Choose mink, lynx, or jaguar. But be sure to order now. Is that re is that real? Or is that like from Austin Powers or something? <laughs> Oh my goodness, that guy. Pretty, if that was from the 70s, it was absolutely real. Oh yeah. my goodness. That's Much better with the with the voiceover though as well, definitely. So it made us yes. think of that when uh I think Melissa, when you brought up that Bashir was like getting blood stains out of the carpet, and it reminded me of this thing that I saw yesterday. I'm like, you think that's bad. <laughs> well maybe they don't call it shag carpeting for nothing yep exactly <laughs> wait 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 yes <laughs> oh just so, don't take your shoes off when you come over ugh. Sue uh, who are you wearing today I'm wearing I'm wearing Ciroc that sounds so bizarre <laughs> Ciroc you're literally Her, wearing Ciroc more yeah. like Jake. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's an awesome I like it. shirt. I Rock like it wasn't 6'3". <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Eve, you're wearing uh, something from Abyssinian Kiosk, uh, right? So this is a bit of a plug uh, to get ready for Halloween with a mug as well. Mm -hmm. So still fine. Not, get the <laughs> mug to match. Abyssiniankiosk.com. This, this comes in orange now as well. So yeah, special editions coming out. Beautiful. Very exciting. You can find that stuff in the description box below. That's abyssiniankiosk.com. Uh, what Sue was wearing can be found at uh, teespring.com slash the seventh rule, also found in the description box below. TJ, I don't know if you're wearing anything uh, special. I can't tell. He's just showing off the Klingons. This, have, uh, this is my company, <laughs> Incorporated. And they annually sponsor um, fundraising to fight cancer. So nice. Mm -hmm. Excellent. That's an October thing, yeah? Nice. Yes. So coming up pretty soon mm -hmm. here for us. Awesome. This is an old one. All right. Nice. So back to work. Uh, you guys have any thoughts on this episode? Have you seen them recently? Did you get Melissa's shirt or did you do that earlier? No, I did. Oh, that's a nog. You're right. I see nog's head. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you can great. get that at walkingartmadebymelisa.com. We've got one representative 
of each of our favorite stores. That's really cool. Uh, that's also in the description box below. As I mentioned before, this is from Lambda Quadrant, our good buddies at Lambda Quadrant. Check them out online, Lambda Quadrant, all over social media. Anyway, favorite episode, TJ? You gave it a 10. Uh, it, it's a good one. I love this episode. I like the the battle song. I like the Klingons. It's uh, fun to get a peek into their culture uh, and see that they're not always, um, you know, like these gung-ho ready-to-fight warriors. They also, you know, kind of have some issues where, I mean, this entire crew was depressed um, and beaten down and needed some inspiration. Even Martok needed some inspiration. And, you know, the way he got it probably isn't the way any of us would have done it. Yes, come and stab me so that you can feel good about yourself <laughs> and take this ship into battle. But, uh, but uh, I mean, it was all in all, it's a really, really fun episode to see the crew go through that journey of uh, going from where they were to uh, ready to go fight these gym and rescue those Klingons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Also, very quickly, uh, our good friend Homer Frizzell out in upper Manhattan is going through some tough times, a family tragedy. So we do want to say we're thinking of you, Homer, and uh, we're with you all the way. And we look forward to seeing you when you get back. All the best to Homer Frizzell. Here, here. Yes. Because right about now would yes. be the time that I would say, Homer, do you have something to say about this episode? And you, and you would say, right. I do. and then tell us (laughs) plus i can't wait to see his reaction to this carpet oh well we know what his reaction would be does not approve (laughs) (laughs) whenever we think about homer we just this is (laughs) and that's earned that has to be earned yeah that's a feather in the cap if homer shakes his head at you yes yes (laughs) the unapproving head nod Mm. Uh. (laughs) i just wonder everybody's like are we frozen what happened uh Well, Eve, do you have any thoughts on this episode that you'd like to share? I don't know if you've seen it recently. Yes, I watched it um, yesterday and there are actually some good bits in the companion this week as well about this episode, which is quite interesting. Um, So they were saying that they actually used the song, the the Viking or the Klingons song from a old CD-ROM game. So they didn't have to rewrite a new song. So they were quite pleased about that, apparently, that they didn't have to start from scratch. Um, so cool. So, yeah. So, and what was really interesting is that Michael Dawn and uh, JG had already sang it in that game, apparently. So knew it quite well. No so they were way. To, yeah. So they were able to sort of help the other crew members to, to get into it. But they said that everybody, <laughs> they did spend a lot of time trying to learn the song and that apparently the that the whole memories from this set is just people singing and the song. And at the end, they got everybody to sing it. So not just the the, the actors, they got the crew. Ah, they got everyone nice. to sing wow. it. 
Um, and and then one other point that is really good, I think, actually, which I noticed when I was watching it. You know, what the, when they when after they've won the battle and they're all singing, and then you have that brilliant shot of the the bird of prey from the outside, and they were saying that um, Lavar actually asked specifically if they could have that, where you had the singing in the scene inside to actually carry out in the external shot as well, which obviously they don't do very often. And mm. I think that was just really powerful how they how they did that when previous shots of the bird of prey was was was, you know, you didn't have that that sort of theme that accompanying it. And I thought that was just a really good way of bringing the whole episode where, like TJ was saying, that you had this journey with this crew started from this really dark place to where they are back to being the Klingons that we know and love at the end. Um, so yeah, so I think they took some really good directing decisions and creative decisions um, with this episode, which I really mm. enjoyed. Yeah, something quite refreshing, a bit different to what we've seen for a while. Mm. Man, I can totally picture JG and Dorn leading everybody, <laughs> especially JG. He'd be like, yeah. no, yes. it's like this. And he was like big and jumping around and singing. I'd like to see that blooper reel. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> well, the outtakes. Yeah. Eve mentioned the, the scene where, you know, we hear the singing from inside and, and the and the viewers from outside the ship. That kind of gave me uh, a flashback to, I think it was the hunt for Red October where where they did that in the red October as they engaged their silent drive. And on the sonar, the sonar officer's like, I think I hear some singing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sort of brings in the sort of pirates and the sort of this the seafaring right. tradition of songs and how, how, yeah, people, I suppose, would have heard that singing from, obviously you wouldn't in space, but, yeah, that's a technical point, but you know that it's it just sort of harks back when I think O'Brien mentioned the sea pirates at the start as yeah. well. So I thought the whole thing brought it together, and it's almost like a very pirate episode, which is brilliant. Yeah. Well, yeah. Eve, you had a little nitpick there when you're like, "Well, they wouldn't technically hear it in space," but basically, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was a great it was a great decision. But yeah, um, yeah, I thought it was just an interesting choice because I hadn't really thought about how they'd use music um, or, you know, sounds from in that way. Obviously you have the theme from the external shots with general soundtrack music, but I can't remember another example of where they've used that technique elsewhere. I'm sure there are a couple, but I think that's what made it a bit more powerful. And it sort of, it was quite striking when you saw it and heard it, that they were doing something quite different here. It's a very special thing. Mm. <laughs> That's funny, too, because we were wondering, like, how did they learn all that, memorize all that? Now we ask and we get the answer. Uh, Sue, do you have any thoughts on this episode? Mm. By the way, welcome back. Thank goodness Sue is back. So happy about Great this. To be back. I loved what they did with Nog. I love mm -hmm. the dialogue they gave him, the way he has a backbone and stands up to here is this little... Ferengi and these giant Klingons, and he stands up to them both. Get out of my way, General. Loved that. <laughs> that was, he had no fear. <laughs> no fear. Yeah. So I, that was one of my favorite parts. Of mm -hmm. Definitely. I think we spent almost yes. half the episode praising him, right, Sirach? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
But actually, I wanted to go back to what Eve was saying. I did take note of the exterior shot of the bird of prey because there was a moment when it was it made a turnaround and it, it decided to go back, you know, and get the people. And yeah. during that turnaround, I was like, oh, that's a nice shot of the bird of prey kind of turning around and reversing course and going back to make the decision to rescue that uh, vessel. So I thought that was pretty good. Um, and now that you tell me that's a director's choice to add these kind of exterior shots, it's uh, a good choice by Labar. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's such a beautiful ship. I mean, I always like seeing yeah. the bird of prints. They're just... It's a beautiful ship. Yeah. yeah. I don't Ooh. know about the food, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the about the food. The stewed bok rat. That's what the blue one is for to help you get the food down. <laughs> yeah. And Dax, like it's not very fresh. Like so it's like old, like oh. rotted, you know. Oh, okay. You guys bring up yeah. an interesting question, and we do still have a little bit of time. So I would love to know whatever I know, TJ. Okay, we'll start with you. <laughs> What's your favorite <laughs> Klingon song? Uh, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <That's a tough laughs> <one>. <laughs> if I can learn this one, I like uh, it. I was going to say, uh, I'm going to answer far... this question. All right. We're ready for you. <laughs> um, but uh, I think my favorite one is the one that um, I've heard it several times, but the, the specific reference I can recall is the one that Worf sings with the Klingon officer that comes to his quarters when he's trying to figure out uh, why the fleet has arrived at Deep Space Nine and the way of the warrior. Right. When he goes, it is a good story. Yes. And you tell it well. <laughs> you tell it well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That one. <laughs> yeah. That's the one I always think of too. when I think of Klingon songs, but the actual question I was going to ask, cause that one, I don't think anybody really wants to go into that one uh, besides teaching. Um, is speaking of ships exteriors, what race of ships do you think looks the coolest or which races ships or organization, you know, Federation Klingon Romulans, Jem'Hadar, Breen, Bajoran. <laughs> Toughies, huh? Hmm. <laughs> Why did you make that face when you said Bajoran, Ryan? Just because when I was I was picturing them in my in my mind's eye when I was saying them, and I was like, yeah, Bajoran, we've seen them a few times, and I don't think they're. It's hard to really picture if they're that that great. Uh, Vulcans too. That's another fun one. Um, we'll start with you, Eve. What do you think? Do you have a favorite ship design or type well, or gonna... federation? I'm going to be quite boring and go back to what I was just, I, I really do like the bird of prey. The cling, mm -hmm. that there's just something so distinctive about them that they're, you, you just know what, you know who they belong to when you see them. Um, and I think even non-Star Trek fans would often know that as well. I, I just, I've always liked them. I, I, my dad built me one of those um, build your own models when I was sort of quite small and it had sound effects. And I just always remember that being really cool. <laughs> Yeah. So I think I'm gonna st I'm gonna stick with the almost the, the sort of boring answer, but the Klingon warships definitely. Yeah. Nice. Mm, Klingon warships. Everybody that's watching right now in the chat or in the comments below, 
let us know your favorite ships. Uh, there's also Ferengi Marauders. Those are fun, those crescent-shaped guys. Uh-oh, <laughs> TJ's got show and tell. All right, TJ, what do you got? What's your favorite? Um, I like... Is that from Generations? No, this is just a ship. <laughs> it's something I brought. Uh, someone uh, got this for me on the last cruise that I was on. Um, so it was, it was handy, and we were talking about ships. So mm-hmm. uh, also, when Eve was talking about the bird of prey, uh, that's remember awesome. that oh, I yeah. had this also. Nice. <laughs> yes, yes. I hadn't opened. Um, but my favorite ships, uh, I've always been partial to the Romulans. Like those are the, um, when I was watching Star Trek, the next generation, the aliens that fascinated me the most for the Romulans, I felt like, uh, you know, there wasn't a great deal of information on them at that time. And so every time there was something Romulan, I was all over that because I was so curious about them. And that D. Derrida's class warbird is just majestic. Mm. <clears throat> Good stuff. All right. Uh, Sue, do you have a favorite? Is there a Corvette class or a Porsche class? <laughs> <laughs> I All I can think about is Cousin Gala's ship. <laughs> <That little. laughs> I just love it. It's so bad. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna go with cousin gala's ship which is not a, a starship but what would we even call that a runabout or a what the heck is that i'm just looking it up right now yeah it's like the volkswagen bug so cute I recently actually got the Eagle Moss um, ships of DS9 that came out a couple of weeks ago. And that's oh, all. Really? I haven't actually read most of it yet, but there's some really great sketches and concepts out in there of all the different ships. So I highly recommend that if people haven't got that yet, but like the ships. It's great. Wow. Wow. Right. Shout out to you... Eagle Moss. Oh, yeah, we love Eagle Moss. They have all the best <laughs> everything, right, basically. All the... What's our, our, our buddy, uh, Peter Karuba has about 300 Eagle Moss models hanging yeah. from his ceiling. Oh, wow. It's insane. It's amazing. Incredible. What do you think, Melissa? Do you have a favorite? Um, I was going to give a shout out to the Ferengi ships, but Sue kind of already took that, um, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> um, and they are kind of cute, but... Um, <laughs> I like the exteriors of the Jem'Hadar ships. Mm. I think they're pretty cool looking. Um, They do kind of remind me of uh, a a luminescent bug of some sort, Um, but sleek. Not so much uh, the interior, but but definitely the exterior. Mm. No chairs. They're really cool though, aren't they? I do like the headsets they have. Yeah. I'm not sure. We we haven't seen that. Have we seen those yet? I'm not sure we have actually. We haven't seen the interior yet. No. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. The one with Kalana. Oh, yeah, when it crashed. Yeah. 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 
But we didn't see them working, I don't think, did we? No. Uh, we're talking about the Jem'Hadar ships? Yeah, you know when they have the, they guide them using those sort of cool headsets. Right, like right, right. Yeah, the, yeah, we only saw the one or two yet. No, I think just the one that crashed and then the mm -hmm. interior of that. You're right. I think that's the only time I can remember too. Yeah, because I would need replicators in my ship, but you know, <laughs> and bed. <laughs> You know, something a chair would be nice too. But you're currently <laughs> living without those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Melissa, you're living without replicators right now. So why would you? Yes, but if I'm in space and I'm gonna be uh -huh. on a ship, <laughs> there should be replicators. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, uh, and they would have the problem of everything being off, like with the Klingons. It's quite medieval, really, isn't it? Having food going off on your ship. Yeah. Okay. Sirach, do you have a favorite type? Um, I guess my favorite ship is the original Enterprise ship from the original series. I just think it's it's just such an iconic design. And once you see it, you just recognize it right away. Mm -hmm. So I think I think that's my favorite ship. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, I don't really have a favorite. I love how the Cardassians are so ugly and I love how the Ferengi ships are so ugly. And I love how the, the Romulan ones are like three times the size of the enterprise D. Uh, but I, I do want to give an honorable mention or maybe a favorite to the Riemann Scorpion. If you guys remember the Ooh, Scorpion yes. ship of, uh, Nemesis. Uh, let me see if I can pull that up real quick this guy it's like a little one person or two person oh, ship. It's like a that's fun yeah, a little fighter the one that data wanted to drive mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's a fun that thing cool. too yeah mm -hmm. those are Voyager fun i do like the remote ship too mm-hmm all right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have uh, today, but that was a lot of fun. Boy, oh boy. Um, we do want to say thank you very much to TJ Jackson Bay out in Missouri, Dr. Susan V. Gruner out in Florida, Eve England out in Wales, where uh, I don't think you guys ever had pirates unless they were visiting from Scandinavia, right? They used, um, they used to crash um, on the shores. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose they, when we had a lot of Vikings, obviously. Totally took over. So, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. early pirates. <laughs> right. Uh, and Melissa Longo, you'll be seeing a lot more of her in the coming weeks because there's a lot of Nog episodes coming up uh, for Ciroc Loft and myself, yeah. Mr. Aaron Eisenberg and Russ <laughs> Haslidge. Thank you all very much. And always remember the seventh rule. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.